Awesome. Let's look at Romans. Many of you have requested Romans, much to my dismay. No, no, I'm just kidding. Romans is awesome. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah, it was an awesome book, uh, a very famous book, uh, and, uh, you know, rich, rich with things to learn uh, about God. Uh, in some sense, it is uh, the, if you've been with us, it's the opposite of James. Okay, James is uh, heaps of personal life application uh, with little to no theology behind, right? Uh, James wants them to, to live a certain way, and, and he lays that out very clearly uh, in Proverbs-like fashion. Uh, Romans, Paul is going to take you, you, you through the depths of theology uh, in a way that, that should profoundly change you know, how you see yourself and see God uh, in the inside, and in the end then produce uh, a radically different life lived. All right? and so, so there is vast, vast differences. Amen? Uh, and uh, so yeah, oh, sorry, before we get into that, Max is getting baptized today. I forgot about that. There's Max. Just please stand up, Max. So, we got Max from Murdoch. So uh, that'll be at the, the usual spot there in Trig 4, 4.30. So, awesome. Congratulations, Max. That's exciting. Let's talk Romans, okay? We'll, we'll look at a little bit of intro. Uh, some background information, and then we'll read the, the first 16 or 17 odd verses here and look at a few points, okay? Uh, author, there's a picture of take, you know, someone took while Paul was writing it. No, not really, right? Uh, it's, you know, it, it is widely attested, as you can see from this quote, that, that there's no, no responsible historian uh, that knows anything about history, basically, would, would say anyone other than Paul. Uh, wrote Romans. Uh, it's it's widely quoted by the early church fathers. Uh, you know, contrary to the Da Vinci Code, the Bible is not put together by Constantine at 300. Uh, you know, it, it's there's so much evidence for it. Uh, you know, it, you know, externally, as that quote says, but also internally. If you've if you've studied many of Paul's other letters, then you read Romans, you, you see many of the same themes. There, there's uh, an astounding amount of evidence that points to, to, to Paul writing it, uh, or being the, the, the source of the information. Paul didn't actually write it, uh, as you can see there. At the end of Romans, chapter 16, verse 22, uh, Teratus, I don't know how you say that. Teratish? Teratish. It's fun to say. How do you want to say it? A lot of different options out there. Uh, that's in Afrikaans. I don't think he was Afrikaans. Um, he, he probably wasn't. He was probably uh, Greek. And, uh, you know, he, he, he wrote down, you know, as Paul dictated to him, to him uh, what, what to write. Amen? Uh, there's some background. There's one of the earliest manuscripts of, of, of uh, the actual letter of Paul. So if you read Greek, you can go up there and you can read that yourself. Uh, some out of chapter chapter. Uh, Chapter 1, uh, dating 55-57 A.D. Um, it's kind of in- interesting, you know. Paul, unlike some of Paul's other letters, there's not like a clear, you know, great need from the church in Rome. It's not like Corinth where they've turned on Paul and he's kind of trying to defend his role as an apostle. Uh, it's not like Galatians where he's, he's writing, you know, combating some false teachings. Uh, you know, as you can see in that quote, there's not a single... Uh, cause, and in some sense, uh, the only clear, real aim that Paul seems to have, and he talks about it in chapter 1, as we'll see when we read in a second, but also at the end in chapter 16, uh, is that Paul, when he's writing it, most people think he's, 
uh, if you kind of know the book of Acts, so you know the, the kind of New Testament history, uh, the, there was a, a drought or a famine in Israel, and specifically in Judea, uh, and, and Paul organized a massive relief fund from all the Gentile churches, basically saying, hey, you have spiritual life because of the, 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 the spiritual uh, blessings of Israel. Uh, and, and so you have a lot physically, so you should give back to Israel. And so a lot of the Gentile churches take up collections, which Paul gathers and then takes to, to Jerusalem uh, and delivers it to, to the church there. Uh, and, and most people think that Paul is, has, has just finished gathering all that, is in Corinth for about three months, and then is going to head uh, to Jerusalem to deliver that. And then his plan is to then go from Jerusalem uh, to Rome, where he's never been. Uh, but even then, he's very upfront with them that he views them purely as a stopover. He wants to go to Spain. All right? Paul wants to get, you know, at this point, uh, Paul wants to push the gospel further uh, into new territory and, in, in, you know, fresh ministry uh, op- opportunities for him. Uh, and he sees Spain as that, that destination. And the church in Rome, in some sense, for him is, hey, I want to stop in, check up on you guys. Uh, and, and in some sense be given to you probably financially from them so that he can then press on even further in, into the, 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 the known rubber world. That makes sense? Uh, and, and so, yeah, that's a little bit of background on kind of the date of when it was written and the occasion. Um, and that's an interesting inscription. If you uh, flip, flip to the end of Romans, I know we're going to start in the beginning, but look at the end real quick. This is kind of fun, a fun historical fact for you. If you like fun historical facts. Matt does. Down there in, in, in chapter 16, as Paul's kind of end of his letter, giving a lot of shout outs. You know, we read the verse 22 where our Afrikaans friend uh, says, Look, I actually wrote it. But 23 says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Uh, Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cortis, send you their greetings. Uh, Erastus is an interesting guy because he it says there that you know that he is the the city director of public works. Uh, he, 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 he in 1929 as they were doing es- you know archaeological uh, excava- excavating in in Corinth they actually uncovered this inscription uh, in a stone uh, on on an old road that basically says uh, I Erastus laid this stone. Uh, paid for by my own, you know, basically out of my own funds because of what Rome had given to me, right? And so, you know, it's kind of good to be reminded that these, you know, these, these, are, these are real people, right? And, and this guy was, uh, you know, most likely a, a Roman citizen there that held a very high public office in the church in Corinth, but was also a disciple. Uh, you know, you know, Paul gives him a shout out, uh, and then, you know, uh, history gives us a reminder that he actually existed. So, fun, fun fact. All right. Uh, what's the overall message, though, of Romans? And, and you know, like we saw earlier, it's, it is difficult to pinpoint Romans. Uh, some people just view it as a, uh, a summary of Paul's theology. Um, you know, I, I like this description of manifesto because manifesto is kind of a cool word. You know? Manifesto, right? Uh, a summary, a, a, a proclamation of, of, of Paul's belief of the freedom that we find in Jesus. Right, the freedom that, that, that the gospel message ultimately does bring to our lives, right? Uh, and freedom's an interesting thing. It's kind of one of those timeless themes that uh, no matter if you're in the first century living in the Roman Empire uh, or, or, you know, living in Perth now, 
this idea that we need freedom and we, we long for freedom uh, still resonates with most people. Right? Uh, even philosophers like this guy Jean-Jacques Rousseau, if you're familiar with uh, him, you know, he wrote, one of his great works is a social contract. And he wrote that in there that man was born free and everywhere he is in chains. Uh, you know, and, and even secular philosophers look at the world and, and see that. Now, for Rousseau, uh, those chains were government, you know, and he was pretty anti-government. And he was anti-interesting things. He was anti-fences as well. If you're familiar with Rousseau, you know, he says that whoever laid the first fence uh, around land and declared it to be his own, uh, he, he was the one who started all the wars in the course of mankind. All right? uh, he, big, he, obviously big on this idea that we are, we are free and there's external forces that try to enslave us, which is a common viewpoint that a lot of people have uh, even now in the world. This idea that, that we uh, you know, are, are constantly being controlled by the outside. Now, if you've read much of the Bible, you realize, and even specifically as we'll see here in the first couple of weeks, if you look at Romans 1, 2, and 3, uh, the Bible would have a very different viewpoint. That it's not external things that, that necessarily uh, enslave us. It, a lot of them, the primary things are internal. Or internal conditions, you know, and specifically sin. And how sin tends to enslave us. And that's not an external thing, it's an internal thing. Right? And, and, and as I said, you know, Paul has a great deal to say about freedom. You know, free, you know, right in the beginning, as we'll look at next week, we'll talk about that pleasant topic of the wrath of God. Uh, so if you're looking to skip, you know, that might, no, I'm just kidding, don't skip because of that. But it is, it is, it is a touchy topic, you know, but, but we'll talk about it. And we'll see why even Paul's viewpoint was that it's not something to be ashamed of. Because right? we'll say that in, in, in chapter 1, verse 18, that he's not ashamed of the gospel, though the gospel does contain this idea that the wrath of God is, is coming. You know, we need to be aware of that. Uh, you know, that the, the, the separation that happens between man and God uh, from, from sin and, and because of sin, uh, that the message of the gospel is a message of reconciliation. That separation is bridged uh, by the work of Jesus and we can, we can be at one with God. Uh, this feeling of condemnation that we don't measure up, uh, whether it's, it's that uh, the, the feeling of, of being condemned simply by uh, coming to church or for, for, for the Jewish people of Paul's day, sitting in the synagogue, hearing the law read and realizing, man, I don't measure up to that and I, I feel condemned by that. Or, or even what Paul will talk about in Romans 2, uh, people who never hear the law are still in some sense condemned because the law is written on their hearts. And the conscience is still condemned. All right? Again, this idea that, that, that people feel condemned is not just religious people. Paul says in some sense it's everyone. Because the law of God is imprinted on us. And conscious, consciousness, this idea of moral right and wrong that transcends cultures uh, is a puzzle for, for people who think there, are, there is no God and that we're not created. Uh, if that's so, why, why does everyone always seem to feel guilty and always feel like they don't measure up? Paul has uh, a lot to tell us about how we can have freedom. Uh, freedom from ourselves is a big one. Uh, there's a guy, Malcolm... Uh, uh, he says that we need freedom from the dark little dungeons of our own egos. Uh, and as Paul unpacks, you know, specifically in chapter 3 and chapter 4, this idea uh, that the gospel message crucifies and destroys the ego and, and leaves no room for boasting anymore, no, no room for thinking that one person is better than another person, right? We can have freedom from that ego. And that's a great theme that, that we'll find in Romans. Uh, fear from, from you know, our, our inherent fear of death uh, in suffering, you know, Romans 6, 7, and 8, specifically 8, uh, will we'll have a great deal to say about, how, again, how the gospel frees us from 
that fear of death and suffering, you know, death and suffering and decay, which goes right along, you know, with that, uh, and even freedom from from ethnic and, and, and racial conflict, which some people think is a secondary, uh, major theme uh, that Paul's writing to the church in Rome about. That it was predominantly, it was one of the early churches uh, that that had become heaven, hev- heavily Gentile with a Jewish minority, and, and so that. Uh, produce conflicts in, in some sense because they obviously had very different cultural backgrounds. Amen? Uh, so that's, you know, the, 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 an overview of, of the message that, that we'll look at. Amen? Uh, the impact, as I said, you know, it is, uh, you can put Paul in the top five people in the course of history that have changed the world. And, and, and most people would say Romans is his greatest work. Uh, and there's countless people from, from specifically church history, from I don't have a quote from Augustine, but Augustine loved Romans. Uh, Martin Luther, who's the father of the Protestant movement, you know, non-Catholic movement of all churches in the world, uh, he says the chief part of the New Testament is truly the purest gospel. He's talking about Romans. And, and listen to this. He says, It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as a daily bread of his soul. So to say that Luther was a fan of Romans would be a little bit of an understatement, uh, but it's a challenging concept to think about what he's advocating there. To know it word by word, by heart. All right. Uh, he he was obviously you know he translated the Bible uh, you know out of out of the ancient languages like Latin and Greek and in, into German specifically, uh, but that process would have really forced him to, to memorize scripture. And so you do think about the, the profound impact that would have had on his life, and maybe that was why he had the ability to impact the world so greatly, is because he was a man who had filled his heart and his mind with God's Word, you know, and specifically, obviously, Romans. All right, John Calvin, another guy, founder of what we would know today as the Presbyterian churches, <laughs> he says, if we have gained a true understanding in this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. All right. We gain a, a, a good understanding, a solid understanding of it. You, you will. You will grasp all the basics of Christianity. You could essentially take a, non, a non-believer uh, all the way through the book of Romans and help them become a Christian. It contains all the, all the core doctrines. It's similar, if you're familiar with the Bible quite well, it's very similar to the Gospel of John in that way. The Gospel of John, you could take someone from the beginning of John through the Gospel of John, and they, they, would, they would, in some sense, understand all the basics of Christianity simply through that endeavor, right? And Romans is very similar in that sense. Uh, John Wesley, the, the founder of the Methodist churches, which in Australia are known as the Uniting Churches, uh, he, he, he writes in his personal journey, uh, you know, I'll just read it. It says, about a quarter before nine, while he was the preacher, I think it's George Whitfield, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an insurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Uh, and Wesley, you know, credits, you know, hearing sermons from the book of Romans uh, that awakened this idea that for him was foreign to him, uh, that, that salvation was uh, received, not achieved. That it, that it was a gift of God, not, not something that, that you would merit through acts of righteousness or good deeds. Uh, you know, and he, he talks about that being a profound moment that changed his life uh, for, forever. All right, so no pressure here as we go through Romans for it to have impact and uh, and, and to to help us. Amen. Let's, let's with with all that said here, let's read the first <coughs> seventeen verses or so. 
and uh, and then we'll we'll look at a few few quick points, and then we'll take communion together. Amen. <coughs> Verse one, Paul, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith has been reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated, both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Great, great introduction. Loaded there. Let's have a, have a prayer, and then we'll look at a few uh, quick ideas from it. Father, we, uh, you know, we do pray you know, for the next you know, few, few months, three, four, however many months it takes us, God, to, uh, to unpack uh, your servant's writing here. Uh, God, we, we pray that, the, you know, that, that your spirit can, can truly move our hearts and minds, God, as we do so, God. We, we know that, that, that over the years, uh, you know, this letter of Paul's uh, has impacted so many lives, Father. Open up the eyes of so many people to understand more clearly just, just what your gospel is, what that message is all about, God, and how it relates to, to our lives, God. We, we pray that we help... Uh, you know, continue that, that process of being changed by your word, Father. Uh, we pray you help us, God, to, to, to approach it with just tremendous humility, God, as we consider what it says and, and to choose uh, to see, you know, not just the world as a whole, but our lives personally, God, uh, from your vantage point, God, and to understand how, how we can live in a way that, that brings you uh, great, great pleasure and joy, God. Be with us, God, now as, as we look at these things, God, and, and just guide us. Uh, and bless our time. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Great, great introduction here that, that Paul, Paul goes through. But as he, he probably picked up, right? It's, it's all about the gospel. It's all about this message. You know, Paul uh, understands that he has a unique role. Uh, Peter and the other apostles, in some sense, will focus their attention on the Jewish people. Paul is meant to be the, the, the one who takes this message to the Gentile world, you know, and uh, he, he tells us a great deal about the gospel. And so we'll look, look at a couple things, you know, you, you probably picked this up because it is pretty abundantly clear, but it's worth mentioning 
again, uh, is the gospel, it's, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Uh, it, even these first couple verses, you know, Paul, he, he sees himself as a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. All right? Now that message, that gospel, verse 2, he says, is promised beforehand through his prophets and holy scripture. So it's, it's, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Son, but it's rooted in scripture. It's rooted in the past. Right? Uh, that God has spoken in the past, and Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God has said before. Right? Uh, that it's rooted in history. Right? There in verse 3, uh, you know, who, who, or it says, who as to his early life was a descendant of David. Right? Uh, for, for the Romans, uh, they had had many Caesars come, uh, but, but Paul here hits them with, with a king that's way older than their empire. This is rooted in history. God has been at work for a long, long time, way beyond themselves. All right? In, in verse 4 there, he, he gives you know, a, third, a third thing as he, as he backs up or gives foundation to, to what he's teaching, that it's rooted in, in the resurrection uh, you know, of Jesus. Verse, verse 4, as it says, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed a son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Uh, th- th- this idea uh, that, that Christianity hinges on the resurrection, guys, is everywhere. If Jesus didn't resurrect, none of this means anything. Uh, but if he did, that changes everything. Right? And, and Paul leans heavily on that and builds heavily on it as he does the, the Old Testament scriptures and, and also the history of, of, of the Jewish kings as Jesus is, 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 is in that line of a king, uh, but obviously the resurrection as well. It's, it's all about Jesus, right? Uh, you know, and Paul sees himself in light of that. You know, as I said before, you know, the... To think about someone like Paul, who was, you know, a man of many worlds, right? If you're familiar with Paul, he he, he was trained as a, as a Jew under Gamaliel, who was a famous, you know, uh, teacher there in in, in 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 the Jewish first century uh, Pharisee system, you know. And so Paul was was very rooted in that and, and trained kind of under one of the best teachers. Uh, but as you see, when he gets arrested by the Romans and flogged, he 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 throws out his card that he's also a Roman. Uh, if you read the book of Acts, you see Paul uh, using the, the richness of, of, uh, of his history as a person, right, uh, to his advantage. To the Jews, he speaks to the Jews. To the Gentiles, he speaks in their own language. He, he's, he, he knows when he's in Athens, he, he's quoting from their own poets, uh, you know, as he reasons with them. He, he's confident in front of uh, kings like Agrippa and, and Felix. He, he has no hesitation of appealing to, to stand before Caesar, which is pretty, that's kind of a scary concept, right? Uh, you know, to, to put yourself in that kind of scenario of someone who could really just kill you right on the spot and have zero consequences whatsoever. And, and, and yet you see in, in, in Paul, uh, a guy who speaks multiple languages, highly skilled, uh, and yet over and over at the start of every one of his letters, he says that he's a slave. Because he knows that his life is nothing. That his life really is, is that of a servant to God, a slave to God, because it's all about Jesus. Right? And again, this can be hard for us because we, we are individualized culture who can be very self-centered. And, and, and Paul pushes back against that. You know, and even when we think about the, the gospel message, it is not self-help for you. Right? It is not self-help for you. 
Right? It's a message that's all about Jesus, you know, and, and, and as we'll see here, it does have personal ap- application, for sure. It has personal implications, right? Uh, if you picked it up there in, the, in these first verses we read, uh, 20, 20, over 20 times Paul's using personal pronouns. All right? So there's this incredible message, a proclamation that's all about Jesus, uh, but Paul, right from the outset, is, is, is showing how it has impacted his view of himself uh, in a very personal way. And he knows it will for them as well. But it has personal implications. And, and the implications are quite profound. If you, he, you know, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, if you look again at that, he, he says, look, and this is, would be, in some sense, Paul's thesis for the entire letter because he repeats it again at the end in chapter 16, 26, uh, that, that he sees his role as that herald of that gospel that's all about Jesus. His job is to proclaim it. But the implications of that message is, is for, for all people, specifically Gentiles here, as Paul writes, uh, to, to have faith and for that faith to produce obedience. Right? Uh, to call them to the obedience that comes from faith. Right? In verse, chapter 16, verse 26, to the obedience that comes from faith. Which, if you're from a religious background, it's important to understand this, right? Jacob was already nodding his head because I think he knows what I'm going to say, right? It, 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 a lot of modern-day religious people hide behind Romans in Paul's thesis of justification by faith alone, okay? But we need to understand, when Paul says justification by faith alone, Paul has a, a, a way to define that faith. And in Paul's mind, uh, faith never stands alone. True faith never stands alone. True faith is always going to also include obedience, action. Which if you're with, you know, when the young guys, when J- uh, Jono and Jack preached on, on James chapter 2, it's the same concept. Faith without deeds is dead. That's not, that's not even faith as the Bible defines faith. But, but we have so many people in our world now who, 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 who take a badge of Christianity, but they hide behind this belief of faith that it's just like an intellectual uh, agreement to some, some set of beliefs. That's nonsense. And even the, 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 the primary book in the New Testament alongside Galatians that puts forward this idea of, of justification by faith, right in the beginning and right at the end, Paul reminds that it's obedience that com- that, 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 that faith produces. And that's what he's going to proclaim. And that has profound implications for our life because it's not just something you agree to. It needs to change you. And if you claim you believe it, but it doesn't actually change your life, then there is something very, very off about your beliefs. Right? Very, very off. You know, and even secular, uh, I don't even know what you would call Jordan Peterson, you know, uh, counselor turned philosophical preacher. Uh, You know, even he talks about this in some of his lectures of this idea that, that, that talking, you know, as if you have faith, that's, that's nothing. We could very, easy think, very easily think we have beliefs and talk about those beliefs. But he said, you know what, you're, you're, all your true beliefs are defined actually by what you do, how you live. And that's a guy who's, who's on the fence whether there is even something to believe in. But even he understands this idea that if, if we claim we believe in something, that's, it, it's ridiculous to say it doesn't then impact our lives. It should profoundly impact our lives. And Paul, you know, is going to tell us here in, in 16 chapters uh, a message that, that's all about Jesus and, and what, you know, uh, what, what he's come and what he's accomplished. But to think it's just some idea that you believe in and not change your life, that's ludicrous. And we cannot do that. It's got, it's got to change us, right? And even how he phrases that in, uh, in, in there in verse 5, right? It, it's, he says to call. 
right, to call. And N.T. Wright is a famous guy that's still alive in, in, in the U.K. He, he writes, he says, the gospel isn't like an advertisement for a product we might or might not want to buy, depending on how we felt at the time. It's more like a command from an authority. We would be foolish to resist. Caesar's message, messengers, didn't go around the Roman world saying Caesar is Lord, so if you feel like you need to have a Roman Empire kind of experience, you might want to submit to him. The challenge of Paul's gospel, as we just read here, is that someone very different to Caesar uh, has come, exercising a very different kind of power, uh, it, who is in fact the world's true Lord. You know what N.T. Wright is saying is that that we we can ourselves view view the gospel in this way, right? That that it's something that okay, well, you know what? If your life isn't working out for you, turn to turn to God, right? Uh, but that's not how Paul Paul talks here. Paul declares these things are reality. Jesus, he, he's Lord, and and. and uh, whether you may perceive that you have a need or not is irrelevant. This is reality. Right? It's not, it's not you know, as N.T. Rice says, it's not how modern advertising is. Right? Modern advertising, the whole aim of modern advertising is to convince you that, that uh, what you want isn't actually what you want. You actually need that, and so you need to then purchase that. Right? Uh, and Paul, in some sense, is, is, is sweeping all that away and saying, no, no, this is reality. Right? This is reality. Jesus is Lord. You know, and, and, and we gotta we gotta get our lives in line uh, with that reality. Amen. So two things right there in the beginning of the go- uh, of, of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, this gospel message. It's all about Jesus, and it has personal implications. Uh, but thirdly, and also importantly, is that it's actually not all about us, though. Right. Uh, you know, he, as I said earlier, you know, he calls himself a slave to Christ, but he even understands that that his calling was sent to help others. Right? That he's a slave to Christ, but he is sent to other people. You know, in verse verses nine to ten, there, you know, he talks about how, uh, you know, he, he says, "God, whom I serve in my spirit, in, in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you." in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be opened for, uh, for me to come to you. Uh, you know, Paul was, you know, because of the, the gospel's impact on his life, was others-oriented. He's saying there that, that his prayers are dominated by other people. But not just other people. Other people he's never personally met. You think about your prayers over the last week. How much of it is about others versus how much of it is just about self? Again, he, 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 Paul's putting before us an example that's challenging. He's an other-oriented person. And he, he wants to see the gospel in itself is about others. You know, he wants to come and, 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 and give them a spiritual gift. And you know, that's a, there's a great lesson in there. We don't have time to get into it entirely, you know, but... Uh, you know, the, the, if you, for those who maybe have a Pentecostal charismatic church background, uh, if you read the list of, of gifts of the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and you compare that to the list of gifts in, in Romans chapter 12, uh, there's a notable difference. Right? The 1 Corinthians 12 list has, uh, has miraculous things in it. 
right? Miraculous gifts, like the ability to speak in a language you never knew uh, or the ability to lay your hands on and heal someone, right? Simply by your touch. Uh, Romans 12 has none of that, right? And, and so Paul wants to come because he, as an apostle, has the ability to give the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit had a specific use there in the first century. And Hebrews 2 tells us that, uh, that it was to confirm the message that, that had been handed down to the apostles by Jesus, uh, that that was the purpose of the miracles. It was to confirm the message of, of the, in some sense, the New Testament as proclaimed by the apostles. And so these miraculous gifts of the Holy, Holy Spirit centered around the apostles. Right? And as the apostles die out, uh, th- those gifts fade because they were for the apostles. Because uh, there are some churches, specifically Pentecostal churches, that at times will teach this idea that if you don't have those gifts, you don't have the Spirit. Well, that's nonsense because here's the church in Rome that doesn't have those gifts. And it's very clear why they don't have them because Paul had not been there as an apostle yet. Neither at this point in history in 55 AD had Peter been there or any of the other apostles Whereas if you read chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, the church is literally divided into different factions, not in a good way, uh, but claiming allegiance to various apostles that they had had in their midst. Right? And that's a side note very quickly. If that confused you, talk to me afterwards. Right? Uh, but Paul wa- wants to come and he wants to encourage them. He's others-oriented. Right? It's not about h- himself. Uh, you know, but, but even verse 13 is interesting. He's writing a letter to them. Uh, you know, w- you know, verse thirteen. I do not, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. I've come many times. I've uh, tried to come many times, but have prevented. Uh, and he wants to come to them so that he may have a harvest among them, just as he have had among the other Gentiles. So he's writing a letter to a church, a bunch of Christians, and telling them, "Hey, I can't wait to come and, and see you and encourage you." But the reality is, I'm not just coming for you. I want to convert all your all your other Gentile friends. Again, what's he telling them? It's not all about you guys. It's not all about us. Right? It's others-oriented. It's outside-oriented. It's, it's mission-focused. You know? And even then, he goes even further, as we said in chapter 15, as he tells them, look, uh, I, I want to basically get to a place uh, where, where I can go preach where no one else has preached. And I want you to help me to do that. To use your financial resources to support me as it goes on into Spain. The gospel is not all about us. Right? You are deeply loved by God. The gospel is clear about that. Right? But you're also not like the end game of God's plan. We're merely links in a long chain, you know, that, that will continue on until the day Jesus returns and finishes his work. But we cannot sit back and think that we are the end. Right? And a lot of us, day in and day out, week in and week out, if you looked at your, you know, our Christian life, we would think that we are the end. Because we, 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 we take in and we absorb in through, 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 through church, through daily devotional, uh, so many words that have the ability to profoundly change life. But it ends there. We don't share them with one another in this room. We don't share them with, with the lost world out there. And our actions tell us a great deal about really what we believe. And a lot of times, we can, it looks a lot like we believe we're the end. We, we, we absorb, absorb, absorb. Parasitic Christians, take, 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 but don't give. And we need to be investors, right? You know, Paul, even further down here, I think I have it in there, verse 14. It's interesting how he says this. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm also eager to come and preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm obligated. I'm indebted, literally. 
I've been given, and I therefore must give. I've received, therefore I need to give. Right? God has invested in me, and I need to then invest in others. Right? And, and, and again, it's, it's, this is the introduction of the letter. This theme will, will run throughout the letter. It's underneath everything that he's going to write. This idea that you know you are deeply loved by God, and that that, that He has sent His Son uh, to give you salvation, to give you freedom, but you're not His end goal. It is way bigger than you, way bigger than me. And there's a lost world out there that needs that message. Amen. Amen. You know, and that's in in a core the the gospel message. And there, uh, you know, further down the the last two verses of the section we read, Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last." Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You know, Paul says there, verse 16, as, as we read, that he's not ashamed, you know. And, and, and next week we'll talk more in depth about this uh, because verse 18, he starts with the wrath of God is being revealed, right? And so you think, well, what is Paul ashamed of? Well, maybe, you know, he, he's not ashamed of that, but he knows he may be tempted to be ashamed of that because there is some bad news, right? This wrath of God that, that's being revealed, you know, but but it, it, it's interesting how, how he describes even the gospel, right? He says, you're not ashamed of it because it's the power of God. Not, it, it contains power. It is the power of God, right? Uh, it, 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 it is a, a message that in and of itself contains a power that can change lives. And all, all of you in this room that, that have uh, heard that message, understood that, 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 that you were lost and, and indebted to God because of the various choices you'd made to rebel against your Creator, and, and then you understood that God sent His Son to, to bear on the cross your sins, to pay your debt, uh, you know, and, and to die you know, in, in your place and literally in some sense go to hell in your place, in my place, uh, but then he resurrected to to a new life. That <coughs> that message contains power, and, and I encourage you today. Think back to when you first realized that. You know, we read earlier that that quote from John Wesley. You know, as he sat there hearing a devotional on Romans one, and, and this idea that the the gospel contains a power that comes from God, and that power is for salvation. And, and, and he said in that moment, it began to change him from the inside. And John Wesley got out from there, and his life was never the same. You know, he became a central figure in, in what was known as the Great Awakening in, in, in England and in, in the New American Colonies, uh, where entire cultures were so profoundly changed uh, that many of the uh, you know, more sinful aspects of society actually closed their doors because there was no more business coming in. Because the, the culture had been so profoundly changed by a message that someone like John Wesley had, had, had proclaimed. And again, like I was saying, for the, you, that are, you that are disciples, you know, think back to that moment in your life. We're going to take the, the, the bread and the wine here in a second and, and think back to when that, that power first began to work in your heart and your mind. Right? And think back, as we just looked at here, that that power came solely because of Jesus. 
And that it has given you a righteousness, right? And if you remember from, I think we talked about it when we went through James a little bit, uh, this idea, or for sure it was in our midweeks, that righteousness is this, this CV of all CVs, right? A, a record of achievement that, that opens up doors, right? It's like having the best CV you could ever possibly have, right? All the credentials, all the achievements, all the awards, all of that bestowed on you. All the negative, this is not even mentioned because you have so many positive attributes, right? That's that idea of righteousness. This idea that God looks at you and He sees the work of Jesus that He's accomplished. And to think that God gives that by faith. Not because you've done it. Because you haven't. Because Jesus has done it. And, and that, that, that concept... Paul says, has incredibly, has an incredible power behind it. And allow that power to change you. You know, as it did at first. When you first believed it. And let it continue to change you as your life goes on. Amen? So there's an introductory thoughts here on, on, on those first verses of Romans. Let's have a prayer and then we'll take the bread and the wine as we reflect on those things. And then we'll stand and, and sing uh, one final song. Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you. We, we, we thank you that you, you know, shattered Paul's worldview on, the, on that road to Damascus. Uh, that you took him and you made him, uh, you know, your slave, God. And that he faithfully went in, into the world and proclaimed, uh, you know, the gospel message that we now read so much about, God. And, and Father, we pray that, that these, you know, his example, God, these concepts we've just discussed, Father, that... The, the centrality of your Son in this work, God. That we know that this salvation is, is solely rooted in the work He's accomplished, Father. Uh, that, that, that our deeds are, will, will never be enough to merit or achieve uh, that salvation, but that it's given as a free gift, Father. And God, we, we pray that as we, <coughs> you know, for those of us who, you know, have been, have been born again, God, that as we take uh, the, the, the bread and the wine here and now, God, that we can reflect back to that first moment, we heard that message, God. And reflect back on how profoundly our, our lives changed as we believe that, God. And, and that those changes came about not, not out of like drudgery of duty, but, but out of love, out of gratefulness. Uh, and Father, we, we pray that, that it can again, uh, you know, infuse our lives with, with that transformational power, God. That others-oriented way of living our life, God, as we see Paul's example, Father. And you help us, God. Help us to live a life where you know, that that, 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 that that faith produces obedience and adherence to, 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 your, to your commands that goes way beyond what we could ever do apart from you, God. Again, we pray you bless that time and, and bless the contribution, God, as we do give back as well. We ask all in Christ's name. Amen.